bad as a car. Yeah, but it's a fucking sweet car. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Beer Mile Podcast. Today, we have a super entertaining one. Some beers and banter enjoyed with Will Lear in Crested Butte, Colorado. One of our in-person episodes, which if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that those episodes are always just one step above anything that we can do on Zoom. And it certainly doesn't hurt that some beers were enjoyed during the recording of this episode. We covered just about everything on this one. Will's beer expertise, his kombucha expertise, his running career, going pro out of D3 and some of the stories associated with that, such as drinking beers in the stands at D3 Nationals with Nick Simmons and a bunch of other D3 guys after the race. And we hear about some of Will's most memorable races, his post-race parties, his experience doing the beer mile, and a whole lot more. This is an action-packed one. If you would like to see the video version of this one, we have that available, Beer Mile Media on YouTube. The link is in the description to that. There's also a video version of the Flip Cup match where Will and I take each other on. Loser donates $200 to the charity of choice of the winner as part of the UA All Out Mile. So make sure you're checking it out. And it is also part of the end of this episode. This is the last call. Please, 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 listeners, go to uaalloutmile.com and take 15 seconds out of your precious day to register for the UA All Out Mile and join the team Beer Mile Nation. It literally only takes 15 seconds. It's completely free. And honestly, you don't even have to do the mile. Just go register over there on the site and join our team Beer Mile Nation, the team that has the most registrants. It's $15,000 donated to their charity of choice. And we should be that team. Why are we going to not be competitive in this one and not prove to the world that Beer Mile Nation is the best nation out there? So please... Take 15 seconds out of your day. If you do nothing else to support the Beer Mile podcast this year, this is the one thing you can do. Literally just enter your email address and a password and sign up and join our team, Beer Mile Nation, for the UA All Out Mile. Go do it now. 15 seconds, completely free. UAAllOutMile.com. We really appreciate y'all, and we're excited to win this charity money and donate it on behalf of the Beer Mile podcast, of Beer Mile Media, and on behalf of all of you. So thank you for helping... So thank you for helping us accomplish this goal. Now let's get into it. Mr. William Lear, Willie Lear, Will Lear, depending on what walk of life you know him from, this is a super exciting one, live from Crested Butte, Colorado. Let's get a do. Welcome back, everybody, to the Beer Mile Podcast. I'm sitting here, well, I'm sitting here with two people, actually, maybe maybe three, the whole household is here. We got Will Lear in the yeah, house. For, for carpooling purposes, he's a person. He's a person. The dog right. is a person. We got the dog as well. We got Aisha in the back recovering from her knee surgery. Will, thanks for meeting up with me in Crested Butte to, I don't know, talk about a lot of things. Uh, one one specific big thing that's happening with Under Armour, but as well as just catching up with you. We've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a while now, and we're trying to make it happen in person this summer, and voila, voila it ended up happening. No better place in the world than Crested Butte. One beer, and we're both going to be pretty toasty after this. <laughs> I've noticed that all summer at altitude. Don't worry. Yeah, it's the best. So to start things off here, I have actually met you before. I don't expect you to remember this, of course, but back in college, uh, you, used to run, you used to run the Grand Blue Mile. Yeah. And in Des Moines. And I went to Iowa State University very close. And so one of my college buddies. Go Cyclones. Thank you very much. Go Cyclones. <laughs> one of my buddies, uh, he's your exact doppelganger. Do you remember oh, meeting yeah. your doppelganger like six years ago at the Grand Blue Mile by chance? You know, I've only run the Grand Blue Mile a couple of times. And they're at the times that I've run them, I looked particularly like 
Uh, can we swear on this podcast? Of course. I look no like rules. a jackass. That's not really, I was going to go a little bit deeper. In a sort of that. But um, yeah, so only from, t- like you remember a select few people that like can emulate that look and, you know, varieties of well. Yeah, I remember that. I like 100% remember that. That's hilarious. Mostly because I think I also ran like a pile of garbage that day. But uh, meeting you guys was was definitely a highlight. <laughs> so you evolved your look since then. My buddy has not evolved his look. If anything, he's just grown the hair longer, grown the beard longer. You know, he's keep he's keeping it going. So Oof. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. do, do you bold do, move? Do you, I mean, looking back at that, are you jealous of your prior self? Do you wish you could go back to that style, that level of? Uh... Listen, Aisha is <laughs> shaking her head violently in the background. Um, you know, this is actually really fun because you can't see Aisha and I can. And so I get to see her, her little uh, <laughs> nonverbal cues in the back. Um, there, that was an amazing time in my life. Uh, so in particularly that kit, that yeah. kit did a lot of great things for me. Um, I ran a lot of PRs in that kit. So a lot of fond memories associated with that kit was, as I said, looking like a complete jackass and having a beard such that my neck wasn't visible and <laughs> You know, I'd say like the original man bun, but I don't know. I felt like, uh, the only experience I can really like in this too was in 2016 when Aisha was in the Olympics, I bought a speedo to go down to Rio because I was like the, the people on the beach in Rio, everyone wears speedos. If you don't wear a speedo, you stand out. Right. And so I bought a speedo and I wore it under my board shorts for literally like two weeks. And then I finally got the balls to take my board shorts <laughs> off. And I was like expecting this like guffaw from the beach. Like, Oh my God, put your shorts back on. And it was like, no one blinked an eye. No one cared. And, uh, you know, that was sort of what I felt the first time that I, I had long hair. And I always sort of like wore it in this low pony. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then like the first time that I choose, chose to wear it in like a high bun, I was like, I'm like, going to just get massacred for this. And I think it was, uh, a little bit before this what was like, it was a couple of years before this, maybe a year before this, um, at a road mile in Minneapolis and, uh, yeah, TC one mile and no one cared. So this look, I guess, was this a, just like laziness, just let it grow out. Look, or was this strategic? Was this marketing? Because I don't know, like Noah Drotty, another example of someone who had a similar look and it really, elevated him in the first year that he ran at the Olympic trials. Yeah. I, it sort of goes back to high school. Um, in high school, it was like a little bit of a laziness thing, but it was also just like my group of friends and I, we would cut our hair sort of like in the beginning of summer and then just let it go. And it was like an unspoken competition, like whoever the the last person to cut their hair wins. (laughs) And so I, I don't know. It's also like mildly rebellious stage where you're like, right. you can't grow sideburns. And yet every high school boy has these like atrocious sideburns that you're like, I know that you're really proud of those, but you should really just shave them. <laughs> and, you know, someday I hope to have a son who is, uh, you know, as ill-equipped with facial hair as I was in high school. <laughs> um, but once I got to college, it was uh, just kind of like, I kind of liked having long hair. I, I had long hair, long, long hair, long enough that like my grandma stopped asking me to get a haircut. So so I thought that was like a familial win. And then as sort of like running progressed, you know, it's like, I'd say like this, you go from being in like heat five, you start like heat four, heat three. Oh no, all of a sudden I'm in, all of a sudden I'm at US championships and Olympic trials. I kind of just like, 
if I had short hair, I kind of just look like everybody else. And so it was easier for my grandma to see me on the starting line if I had long hair. So solely for the grandma then. Yeah. It wasn't, had nothing to do with me. It was all about my grandma. I just want her to be able to pick, yeah. Like where, you know, like maybe her eyesight's not so good. Where is, oh, it's the guy with the long hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. I mean, growing up in Minnesota, like hockey hair, big thing. So I I feel like it's just, it's it's part of your upbringing, right? Yeah. You know, like I, yeah, I will fight that one to the day that I die. I've never played a game of hockey in my life. That's not true. I've played pond hockey, but like actual organized hockey. Um, Yeah. Also never had a mullet. I think your life goals. That's that. That's where you missed no. out. Oh, yeah. Aisha, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where you could have got a few more, you know, viral views if you just had cut the top. Probably, off back but in like the day, viral but wasn't really a thing back then. That's true. That's you know, true. it's like I basically feel like the internet was just starting back in 2013, 2014. <laughs> I mean, it kind of was social media at least. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's interesting. We actually talk about this with some of our guests on the uh, kind of the business side of the sport, and where now it is so much. I don't know, but if more or equal amounts like marketing, social media presence, that sort of thing on top of just being fast, whereas obviously like 20 years ago, being fast was really all that mattered. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And especially now you've been with a few different brands throughout your career, Nike, Brooks, Under Armour. How do you, how do you feel? Are we like in a, in a doomsday period in the sport where it's like social media clout matters more than actual fast times? Or how, how do you see it um, being in the sport for so long? Whatever gets eyes on the television, um, or I guess people are using their social media to broadcast their results, broadcast themselves as athletes to tell their own athlete story. I think that running media for the most part is extremely lazy. I think that no one does any deep dive into who the personalities are that aren't like, there's this thread, there's this story, someone is a mom, someone has a beauty brand or whatever. It's like these very sort of like, not that being a mom is surface level, but it's like, you don't have to dig very deep to get to know somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how do, how as athletes, do you get the world to know who you are? Well, you have now all these social media outlets. Um, I will also say that, Under Armour. So I signed with Under Armour three years ago. It was the first contract that I ever signed that had uh, social media requirements. Okay. And since then, every endorsement deal that I've come across my desk has had social media requirements. So so it's it's not if it's important. It's just it's how important is it? Right. Um, right. And and we see. I mean, shoot, you have you know influencers um, Mm -hmm. who are making millions of dollars a year by just like curating this personality and telling this story online. Um, and so, no, I don't, I mean, there are a lot of very, very fast, very strong athletes out there in the world who, uh, choose for that to be their only outlet. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that they leave a lot of dollars on the table, but if that's also what, if they don't want to be inundated with social media all day, every day, um, you know, there's a lot going on with mental, mental health struggles right now with people like thinking that their life is the worst life possibly imaginable because all they're surrounded with is their Instagram feed of everyone, you know, broadcasting their best self. Exactly. Um, and so I think that there's, you know, there will be a lot that sort of how this, how this transforms over the next, I don't know, five, 10 years, I think is going to be pretty huge, but, um, I think for the most part, it's really good. I mean, I think like you have people like Craig Engels, who I think Mm -hmm. he tells a really interesting story on social media. Um, And then you have people like Matt Centrowitz, who is hilarious on social media, but it's a, it's a different story. Exactly. Um, Exactly. But they cater to a different audience. And the more of those like, you know, small circles that we can get to sort of link up with one another, 
the greater that our, our uh, circle of influence can be. Yeah, that's a great point. And so now with Under Armour, these these past couple of years and your how, however many years into your current, 15 years into your career now, like quite, quite a ways in, Yikes. um, how, how, where, what are you doing currently as far as training, like current goals, um, plans for racing in the future, kind of where, what, what are the next big things that you're hoping to accomplish? Oh boy. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you know this, but I recently won a trail race. Trans Rockies sponsored by Under Armour. Found out about it about 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have no real, um, like performative running goals. Okay. Uh, I think that a lot of my running goals now are experiential. And so this fall I'm going to run a marathon. I ran a three day stage race, a part of a six day stage race. I won't say that I did ex- exceptionally well. There was an Under Armour guy there, Cody Reed, who was doing the sixth day. And I think he beat me by about an hour every single day. So just put it into perspective of like where I ranked in terms of, I'm not a great trailer. I uh, just so happened that there weren't a lot of people doing the three day event. I got lucky. Um, but yeah, everyone's got to get a little lucky sometimes. I, one of the things, um, so I, I basically stopped racing in July of 2019. Um, at the time, I wasn't sure if that was going to be it forever but I needed to take a break. I needed to like reorient my life goals. And after taking about six or eight weeks, almost completely off of running, which isn't totally true. I wasn't going like running with my high school coach and my old high school team and stuff, but it was like three or four mile runs. Um, I went and joined Aisha and a couple of her training partners in San Moritz, which if you haven't been is one Have of the not most, been, but that's I mean, everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah, everyone says, Buckleist item. It's one of the most fantastically beautiful places in the world. And it's it's like I couldn't help but go for a run. I was like excited to go running. Yeah. I was excited to be and and I hadn't felt these things in a long time. I was excited to be at the track with Aisha and her teammates. And like now I was very out of shape, but like help out if I could. If that meant like rabbiting 200 meters of an 800 meter rep, because that's all I could handle. That's you know, that's what I did, or just like sitting on the sidelines holding a watch, you know? Yeah. Um, but I realized that. I was getting really um, overly obsessed with my own results. And I think as a result, in spite of being in great shape, when I stopped racing, uh, I couldn't put it together on the track anymore. And, and then I also had this sort of epiphany that like, even if I got back to training as well as I ever have, my results at that point in time, so this would have been like 2019, 2020, I was going to be 35 years old. They probably wouldn't be what they were in right. 2014. It was a long time ago. Um, and that if I was going to judge all of my happiness and running based upon results that I needed to do different events. Cause mm-hmm. I still like, if I got on the track and was running a 5k, I wasn't going to be happy running 1359. Right. I right. wanted to run 1319 or 1309 or whatever. You know, I wanted to be relevant in the mix with the best guys. Um, and so I just sort of shifted focus a little bit and did this trail race that was the first, like, I guess, organized event that I'd done in a, in a very long time. At least I had a lot of people. Um, my longest run leading up to it was about 10 miles. And uh, the shortest day that I ran was 15 miles. There was 20, 15, and 25 miles. And uh, yeah, I was woefully underprepared. But it was like, there were definitely deep, dark times in there where I was asking myself the question of like, what? what are you doing? Why are you doing this? <laughs> just, uh, this is so stupid. And I get like wrapped up and like, Oh, there's another guy in the three days. Like I can catch him on this hill. And I'm like, 
who cares? Just like enjoy the process of being out here. Yeah. You know, you know, the mountains of Colorado in this new state that we call home. And, and, uh, no, I mean, for the most part, I just like, I love going on runs because I think it's one of the last places that we can sort of like get away from technology, get away from our phones and like connect with our friends and just be like, have great conversation. Yeah. Living on Colorado trail racing is the the perfect setup. So do you, I mean, do you see yourself continuing on doing more of that, uh, ju- or more jumping in for fun? I guess if you're going to say that you're actually committing to doing it, you're going to have to start, uh, probably up in the long runs a little bit there and get some yeah. more time in the mountains. That's, uh, by not committing, I don't have to train any harder. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 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 You, you know, like I I've made the biggest commitment of my life was getting married. And, uh, you know, beyond that, I think my commitments will be pretty, pretty minor. <laughs> I committed to doing this podcast. You know, like I, it's the rest of my day is pretty open. <laughs> Big commitment. Hey, got to yeah. please a sponsor somehow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. So for Under Armour, then let's talk a little bit about part of the reason that we're here together. Yeah. Um, the Under Armour all out mile. It's a, well, maybe I should let you tell the details, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm even more knowledgeable on it. So I'll just, I'll just try to dive in here. Yeah, go for it. The Under Armour All Out Mile uh, is open now for registration and it's a virtual event. You can race. Basically, the, the intention is that you run a mile here in these next couple of weeks, get a benchmark, uh, get trained through Under Armour, improve over the next month, and then go go hard in the early October and see how fast you can run for a mile. And there's tons of money on the line as well. And I know between Will and I, we both have teams. Uh, there's a team competition as a part of this. And well, there's so, a winning team and a losing team. Well, you know, TBD, we might have to settle the score over uh, some flip cup or a drinking yeah, yeah, game here in yeah, a little yeah, bit. Sure. But the team that gets the most members to sign up for this all-out mile uh, gets $15,000 to donate to the youth sports charity of their choice. And so Pretty awesome. I'm yeah here with Will to talk about this and help promote it. But at the same time, tell our listeners that you absolutely should not be signing up for Will's team. You should be signing up for the Beer Mile Nation team. I mean, um, Mile High Milers is a pretty good team. <laughs> we're, we're, we're pretty strong. We have Mile twice in our name. You, who's on the team? Tell, tell me who the collection of milers are. Cause there is also, so on top of having the most on the team for the team prize, there is an actual fastest, I believe it's four people are scored on the team sure. uh, combined time. So is that, is that really what you're gunning for here? Are you guys going to try to get the four fastest dudes to our team is pretty stacked. If I, if I'm, if I'm being honest, uh, as of my last check, I think there were three members, me, myself and I. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. We're, we're a strong team. Can you just run a mile <laughs> four days in a row and count it and just win by yourself? I don't see why not. There we go. <laughs> I, I read the fine print and it didn't seem like that was <laughs> you'll, have, you'll have to drive or head back to Minnesota and run it at yeah, sea, level, sea level though. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think this is a really cool, um, idea that, you know, we've been pushed towards these virtual events all year. Um, in-person events are starting to come back, but what Under Armour is providing, this is totally free to anyone that signs up. I mean, that's like one of the, like, it's free. You can win a bunch of money for a charity. You can win money yourself. You can win prizes. You get trained by professional coaches in strength training, human performance, and running. So you get these videos into your email inbox every day or every week, which is also pretty awesome stuff that you have to pay a lot of money for most of the time. Yep. And you get more fit I mean, I don't really see many downsides. Zero. Yeah. And other than having to run a mile twice, because I'll be honest, the mile 
It fucking hurts. It, <laughs> it hurts does. a lot. But hey, the, the first one's a benchmark. So, I mean. Yeah, I, don't dog it on your benchmark. <laughs> if you're going to go run the all out mile, make sure that your benchmark is all out. You want to like, you want to see how, even if you're at your least good fitness of your entire life, you're, you're, you're the most out of shape you've ever been. Invite some friends out to the track because I promise you that if, even if you don't have a good time, your friends are going to have a blast watching you try. Absolutely. And we're going to have, at least in Chicago, I don't know about around the rest of the country and the rest of the world for that matter. Anyone can participate worldwide. I guess another important point to uh, throw in there, but I think it's seven different countries. Yeah. In Chicago, if uh, anyone wants to come out, it's going to be, don't know the exact date yet, but the week of leading into Chicago marathon in October, we're going to meet up at a track and do it together. So it'll actually be like a race race, which will be perfect. And so anyone, anyone listening, come beat me and, and we'll have a, have a good little race. Gosh, we'll see how many it. Chicagoans can whoop my ass out there. Probably a lot. <laughs> Probably quite a few, but you seem like you have your, uh, your tactics a lot more strong than mine. Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll uh, I'm going to lobby for some altitude adjustments. Okay. Well, how, how, how many seconds do you think you're going to need in order to take the win on this? Me? Altitude, yeah, on this altitude adjustment, what are you looking for? Are you looking for like a 30 See, I'm, second? I'm or? more of like a spiritual leader of the group <laughs> rather than an, an actual uh, participant. I will be doing most of the workouts just so, you know, for posterity's sake, when we improve it for the, the next iteration. Um, but my miling days are mostly behind me. You think so? <sighs> Only time will tell. I mean, you're, you've been a miler all these years. I think... Uh, I think you're always a miler. Once a miler, always a miler. That's I appreciate that. That's like might be the biggest compliment anyone's ever given me. Really? Yeah. I, I don't think so. I, I think <laughs> Aisha's like, no, I give him compliments every single day. <laughs> we have different ideas and compliments. Those dishes are not clean enough. Those are clean, just not clean enough. It's one type of compliment. I'm kidding. So listeners, head to UAalloutmile.com, register here. Uh, if you don't have a fit rankings account, you have to sign up for one of those. It takes 10 seconds, completely free. Don't worry. They won't spam your email too much. They, they won't. I mean, I haven't got any spam yet. So Me either. good to go there. And yeah. then make sure you just click on the teams and you'll see our orange icon, Beer Mile Nation. Make sure you sign up there. Yeah, uh, Mile High Miler is much better. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe mm. our logo is a picture of the flat irons. It's beautiful. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> when I beat you in Flip Cup, you have to join my team. Oof, yikes. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if that's allowed though. I, with, can, uh, I can donate you 10 members. <laughs> okay. How about that? that My that 10 works. fastest members have to, have to go to your team. Um, yeah, I, again, I think this is a really cool opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, more than anything, when Under Armour came to me this idea, I thought that like the opportunity for anybody in the world to have access to a lot of the resources that we get as professional runners um, is pretty sweet. Yeah. You know, like you get to have these videos that are curated for exactly what you're doing. It's not these like general videos that you might see on YouTube or something that's like, no, these are videos that are absolutely designed to be like watched and they coincide with the training and, you know, week after week after week, it's a four week training program. Um, I just think that it's really cool. And I think that there's the miles, a special event. I think it is often disregarded. Like Aisha can probably agree with me on this. When we talk to people and say, Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a professional runner. Oh, do you run the marathon? No, I run the mile. They're like, just the mile. And I'm like, I'm so, so sorry to disappoint you, you know? Um, but the mile is, is really cool. There's a mm -hmm. lot of, there's a bunch of different fun workouts that you get to do. There's it's, and it's a wide variety. That's the beauty of the mile. It's like 
one of my original, my first coach post-collegially, Frank Gagliano, used to come to the track every day. Said, Strength plus speed equals success. <laughs> and I was like, cool. So we get to run fast. We get to run long and hard. And then we get to run fast miles. Like, this is the best. <laughs> yeah, I love this. And what have you, I guess, contributed to the coaching piece of it with, with Under Armour? What, uh, what all do you do in collaboration with Under Armour? Or are you solely uh, an athlete? I, you know, well, I'm you're gonna, never solely an athlete. I'll put I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave that out there. I'm going to say to find out exactly what I do with the all out mile, you got to subscribe. It's fair. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, de- I definitely saw your picture on the website. So I'm assuming you're one of the, one of the big, big guys. Yeah. Working I, on this I thing. may grace your inbox once a week with some, you know, really, really mind blowing insights into the mile. I might not. <laughs> <laughs> Only time you gotta sign up to yeah, find you gotta out. Sign up to find out. Yeah, <laughs> I better be dropping at least twenty seconds off my mile time. Well, I, and if you don't, I'll be very disappointed. I, I probably will by default because I'm running like ten minute pace out here, and so I, I think my my uh, benchmark mile is going to be pretty dang slow once I get back to sea level. And yeah, haven't haven't run a rep. Uh, I don't even know. Haven't run a quarter under seventy seconds all summer. I probably probably will struggle a little bit. But. Strength plus speed. Equal success. I've got the strength. strength. There you go. There we go. Just got to work on the speed. (laughs) Um, All right. How about let's, let's talk about this beer that you were so gracious to open up here for this interview. I've never had it before in every single one of the beer mile podcast, my co-host and I, we do a beer review and we've tried to do a beer, different beer every single episode. So this is perfect. Uh, Would you like to join me in reviewing this beer as part of the show? I would love that. Yeah. Um, if I'm being perfectly honest, I don't think the review needs to go much deeper than just like acknowledging how fantastic the can is. The can has rainbows. It has a unicorn stallion Pegasus. Uh, 8% of all revenue goes back to local charities. And it's it's not brewed in Montana anymore, but it was born in Montana. And Montana is a great place. Uh the can is blue. They call their beer a cold snack. I mean, what's not to love? Regardless of what's in the can, it's my favorite beer. The cold snack is an excellent name, uh, often referring to PBRs as PBR snacks. So it's just the the yeah. natural brother or sister beer to the the good old PBR. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, one of our Aisha's and my favorite Instagram follows is Middle Class Fancy. Okay. Uh, where wherein they refer to beers as crispy boys. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 This is like the crispiest of the crispy boys. Okay. Well, that's, that is quite the compliment for beer. I don't think I've ever said any beer is the, the crispiest of all. I think Montucky prefers to be in an igloo cooler. It actually doesn't love a Yeti very much. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a little bit too, um, pretentious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is, it's, it's an unpretentious beer. It's, uh, to put it mildly, <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't exactly recommend drinking it warm. Um, it tastes like beer and, you know, on a hot summer's day, it's incredibly refreshing. It's not, you know, overly alcoholic. You can have a few of them and still be on your feet. It's certainly hitting the spot right now. So we typically rate uh, a scale of one to 10, the taste and the drinkability of it. So it sounds like you're saying super strong on the drinkability. Drinkability. I would give this, uh, yeah, ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Okay, and then then the taste. Let's say just ice cold, hot summer day. Ice cold, hot summer day. I mean, like again, for what I'm looking for, it's like a ten out of ten. You know, yeah. this isn't like I'm not going to pair this 
with, I'm not going to be like a beer sommelier and try and pair this with a meal. It's like you're out playing sand volleyball with some friends. You go over to your igloo or Coleman or such variety. <laughs> not your Yeti. No. no. Your Yeti, can, you can keep your hazies and your Yeti. You know, that's just fine. And your sours. Yeah, yeah he can yeah. keep your hazies and your sours and your Yeti and stuff your sours in a sack. <laughs> Give me the Montucky from the igloo any day. I love that. Coming to you live from uh, Vail Resorts owned Crested Butte. <laughs> oh, that's that's good. Um, so... All right. Would you, would you call yourself a big beer guy in general? I mean, you live in Colorado now, so I feel like you kind of have to be at least somewhat of a beer guy. I enjoy beer. Yeah. Uh, I've brewed beer. I enjoy drinking it. Um, I don't know much else there is to say about beer. What's is, would you say that this is your go-to style of beer? Just like a light lager or absolutely not. Okay. No, no. So, I'm so more you're more like a, a hazy, I'm more hazy, hazy out of the Yeti kind of guy, but <laughs> I figured that's where this was going. Yeah, but I'll, you know, I'll timestamp this. It's uh, precisely four o'clock on a Wednesday, four o'clock on a Wednesday, cold snack from the fridge or from your igloo or Coleman cooler. Preferably that was passed down from generation to generation. So what was the beer that you were drinking with Nick Simmons at uh, Nationals? I, I've heard this story before. Oh, of dear. You and Nick throwing down at Nationals against each other and then having some beers in the stands potentially, uh, allegedly. We were in the grassy knoll. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. so what was the what was the beer of choice that day? Because grandma was in the stands. Um, <laughs> that's a really good question. I might have to phone a friend with Nick on this one. Um, it's yeah, I was a junior in college. It's probably like whatever the cheapest, crappiest just a, beer just was. Just a rack of something. Yeah. 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 Uh, we brought that... If you remember a lot of NCAAs, they give you a little, like a commemorative bag. And we filled those commemorative bags with, you know, we didn't call them crispy boys at the time, but with some, you know, it's probably like Bush or Keystone Light, you know, some such varietal. Yeah. yeah. Really, uh, you know, creme de la creme <laughs> beer. Uh, but yeah, we, we smuggled these beers in, in our NCAA backpacks. And it was while one of my teammates was running the 5K. So we had to make a quick run to the store. And when we came back, uh, we were enjoying these beers and pretty much immediately there was a large crowd around us and we realized that we had underbought, but we were, you know, sharing is caring. And so yeah. until the beer was gone, everyone, everyone around us was happy. You were onto something there. Yeah. Nick, Nick Simmons, actually the very first guest of the Beer Mile podcast. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Well, you know, honestly, I wish it would have been like Corey Bellamore or something. Corey Bellamore still hasn't been on yet. So someday, someday we'll have him on. But, uh, no, Nick, Nick, uh, first guy, he was like, we are, are, are you the American running? record holder? Yes, I am. Yes. Okay. But, see, but Corey, why. Corey, Corey's got me. He's the, the one guy standing between me and that world record. Yeah, so between you and greatness, between, <laughs> I'm, I'm just a nobody. I got to drop four seconds and then I'll be a somebody. I'll, I'll get there eventually. Don't I know that <laughs> feeling? <laughs> It, it is interesting. We actually, um, Jackson and I, my wife and I, we were talking about how just running in general, how like two seconds or one second, even in, in like a mile race makes all the difference in a career in, yeah. in everything. Relevance. And, and it's just nuts because to obscurity in, cause like we were just talking about when people ask you like, what do you race? Do you race the marathon? And you're like, no, I race the mile to the average person, they don't know the difference between a four minute mile and a five minute mile. No. And so when you're, when a career is like hinged on 350 versus 348, but then, you know, to the, to the normal person, they have no idea what that even means anyway. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's such a, it's such a crazy thing that only other runners can appreciate, which the running community in general, definitely growing. There's more and more people that are getting into it and understanding it, especially with the pandemic 
the number of people that have started running in the last year is I think it was like something like 10 or 15 million. It's nuts. It's yeah. nuts. All the, all the running stores in Chicago sold more shoes than ever. Uh, when they were closed for the pandemic because yeah. everyone was coming to pick up shoes, uh, which, which is an ec- awesome thing. It's an excellent thing. But, uh, yeah, it just, just made me think of that, how the, how just a couple seconds makes all the difference. Yeah. And that like a three fifty nine mile to the lay person is as impressive as a three forty six. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You started with a three. Everyone's like, they don't hear the rest of it. Yeah. Sub four. Like in every time I can't run a lap that fast. <laughs> every single time. Okay. Well, yeah. probably, probably run more. Yeah. Or I, I can't even chug one beer that fast. That's the one that I always get. So yeah, I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't chug one beer as fast as you can you, do. Your you've fourth. never, have you ever done a beer mile? I have, I'm abysmal. Um, but I will, I have a little bit of a qualifier on that. So at Pomona, when I was there, apparently I've re- well, not apparently I've recently, apparently I've recently <laughs> learned <laughs> that <laughs> apparently sometimes I don't watch this. Sh- I don't watch the beer mile podcast because I'm a kid. And apparently every time apparently grandpa just gives me a remote after we watch the Powerball. <laughs> Love I, that uh, video. <laughs> <laughs> apparently I've never before. <laughs> I've never done a beer mile before. Um, so there's, there is an infamous story at Pomona college of a man, a legend named John H Armstrong. And that he, came out, I think it was, they still ran the the 5k on night one of our conference championships and the 1500 on day two. And he goes out and wins the 5k. And that night he goes with my coach to the local pizzeria and he eats an entire pepperoni and garlic pizza and drinks a pitcher of beer and comes back the next morning and wins the 1500. And so from his heroics, uh, the John H. Armstrong Memorial beer mile was born probably 20 years after he graduated from college. <laughs> now, uh, the John H. Armstrong Memorial Beer Mile, the second cat, the first category is, is like just getting this thing done. And, and we started to invite all of the teams in our conference. And so for a while, be like one guy would come or maybe one girl. And then by the time I was a senior, we had like, like full scoring cross country teams participating in beer mile, like in their full kit. And it was great. Uh, we got more spectators for the beer mile than we would get for our football games. <laughs> yeah. Also that's, fun. That's saying something. Yeah. It's, it's the best. Uh, so running the beer mile, it's hard enough as it is. We made it harder by the goal of our fall season was to try and pin down the most disgusting beer that had never been used for a beer mile before. Uh, my, I think it was my junior year, my junior year, my senior year, I distinctly remember this beer called Cerveza Caguama, affectionately known to us as Turtle Piss, um, which one of my teammates went and I think he bought, you know, something like three or 400 beers, <laughs> Excuse me. put them in the trunk of his black Volkswagen, wherein they sat for a week. Only they only came out for the beer mile. Oh God. And so these are hot turtle piss and you, cr- you cracked it open. Well, actually, it's funny. There, another beer we had was Durango, which like <laughs> now that I'm in Colorado, I was like, oh, Durango, Durango. Every time someone's a Durango, I'm like, mm. uh, like the, the, you crack it in like the general olfactory sense that you got from like all of these turtle piss beers opening up was like, it was like, a, it just smelled like puke. And then you tasted it and it tasted like puke. And somehow people were able to shove these things down their throat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's like pretty much how I've, every time I've ever run a beer mile. My claim to fame in the beer mile is that we followed official beermile.com rules 
which is if you throw up, you have to run a penalty lap. And my last 800 one year was 203. That's cruising with four yeah. beers. Well, I guess you threw up some of it. So maybe like two beers in the stomach. So yeah, like maybe that. we'll call it luckily, may, like, may, <laughs> generously, not like generously, we'll call it one and a half beers in the stomach. But okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of acid in the throat. Well, man, you might have to give it another go then with not turtle piss. Better, better conditions, you know. Someday. Have a little fun with it. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, it was always cans. You know, there's no monkey with the cans, no squeezing the can. Yeah. No yeah. funny stuff. Um, but I've watched, I, I mean, honestly, you might have to, have, we'll go offline. You can tell me some of your secrets. Okay. Okay. What it I, takes. I think I've already told everyone out there the secrets. There really aren't many. Just get better at chugging and then be able to do it when you're out of breath every lap. That's pretty much it, you know, and mm. then don't throw up. That's the other one too. So I, there's that, the secrets. That easy. That <laughs> The Under Armour all out beer mile coming to you next year. <laughs> hey, actually, you know what? I might... That'll actually be perfect timing. Maybe that week I will do a mile and a beer mile as part of the Under Armour event. What do you think you can run faster in? Well, I mean, I definitely... Oh, well, so actually my mile PR kind of... I've run faster splits for a mile within a beer mile than I actually have in an outright mile. My outright mile PR is a little weak for sure, but... I've run faster with Heard that a hundred times. Yeah. Well, you, you've got me by like, what is it? 20, 20 seconds. So, you know, you've got it. You've got a ways on me, but the, I don't know. I, I think, I think I could PR in both and maybe the beer mile. I could get a little bit more legendary status than the all out mile. I can probably PR in the beer mile. I definitely cannot PR in the mile unless I'm running down lick skillet in that Hoka downhill running shoe. Yeah. Wait, is that, is there an elevation change rule for this all-out mile or no? Can we run net yeah, downhill so courses? Don't be a loser. No, that's true. Don't cheat. <laughs> don't cheat. Yeah, <laughs> run yeah. on a track yeah, like, like a hey, normal hey, person. Hey, guys, you know what? This is a free thing to join. <laughs> Try to cheat it somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't go do that. I had I I did one of those uh, pandemic contests and definitely saw some people. Like I had I asked people to submit me their like GPS file or link their Strava thing to me, and yep. there were definitely some things where I was like. Yeah, sure. Trying to get the edge. Yeah, whatever, man. I'll send you a pair of shoes. I don't care. Yeah. Well, for our for our Under Armour All Out Mile team, we're just going for the most people. That's our what our claim to fame Good. is. We are not. Yeah. We're we're not trying to get out here and run the mile faster than everybody else. So honestly, probably a lot of our people will do it as a beer mile. I would uh, I would imagine they'll just say, hey, whatever, All Out Mile, beer mile. I think you should do one and then the other. Okay. I think I would have, I would do, I would have to do the beer mile. Oh no, I wouldn't want to, I would not want to run a mile with another mile. Uh, yeah. cause, cause the thing about the beer miles, the beers don't really hit you while you're doing it. No. It's like right afterwards. Well, if you're me, so, they come up anyways. So. That, maybe that would be the, hmm, no, cause I, I gotta, gotta try to run fast. So I was going to say, maybe that's the play is to just, uh, yeah, to get, get it out afterwards and then yeah. go for the all out mile. Yeah, but job for I don't want to be, you know, weaving all over the track for the all out mile afterwards. So we'll have to seems dangerous. We'll have to curb that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talking more about your D three glory days here. So for, for our listeners who we, we got some younger listeners for sure. We got a lot of college guys listening to this podcast. So Will Lear way back in the day going pro along Nick Simmons as well out of D three. So tell, tell the people a little bit about what that was like. So I think we actually have a lot of listeners too, who like 
run club, uh, D one club. So they're not, you know, on the D one team, they're not run D three even, but they're on the club team. That's what I did myself. And so you have a lot of people who are just continuing to run for the fun of it. Uh, you know, not really expecting to go pro, but it's really that I think it's similar cultures to some extent to D three where it's like, yeah, as I said, it sounds you're, just you're, like D three. You're having, you're having fun with it. You're still like super serious. You're going to practice every day. You're training hard, but you're having fun after the race. You know, you're not, uh, it's not like, Oh man, like I'm putting all my eggs in this pro running basket, like screw school. I'm going all in on this. It's like, it's a very balanced lifestyle, I would say. So I think it's very similar to D3. So what was that like to get to the point in D3 where you're like, holy cow, like I actually have a shot at being a pro runner, uh, coming, coming out of, you know, competing on the D3 scale. Yeah. Uh, it was a long time ago. So you're gonna have to give my brain a quick second, but there's not a lot of oxygen up here. Um, what was it like? Uh, I think, I mean, my, my experience in division three running was like a bit of a roller coaster. Um, you know, chose to go D three for precisely those reasons that you listed that like having a social life in college, being academically inclined, Mm -hmm. but also still wanting to participate in intercollegiate athletics. Um, if people still call it that anymore was like, I tried to find a place that I could do all three. It also didn't hurt that Pomona college was in Southern California and I grew up in Minnesota and Great weather. No winter. Yeah, it was the best. Um, I found when I visited Pomona that sort of like I was – the team was full of like-minded people in, in that like when they were at practice, it was taken very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, that like, you know, you were here – like if you were – if you came to practice and you just dicked around, like people would get on the coach wouldn't get on your case. Your teammates would get on your case. Like, Hey man, if you're here to just joke off and like slow everybody else down and like, you're not going to try like, don't come to practice tomorrow. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause there's still a club team at Pomona and you can go run with the club runners all you want. But like, we're actually here because regardless of if you were, you know, trying to break 30 minutes for 10 K or break 30 minutes for eight K cross, the team was there to celebrate your accomplishment and I think that was, that was something that was very important for me because in, in high school, I wasn't, I was good, but I wasn't great. Um, I had a couple of D one offers, but they came late in my senior year. Mm-hmm. And by that time I'd already sort of decided where I wanted to go. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually, I, upon reflection, I know that I wouldn't have been successful immediately in a D one program and not that I wouldn't have been successful immediately. I wouldn't have enjoyed going in and having like a bunch of athletes who are like there to put me in my place. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice because at D3, I got to sort of like, I, I've been using this term a lot. I was on my own personal journey <laughs> and I, I say that a bit facetiously, but like I really got to take my time. There were, there's no real expectations. The right. expectations that you show up at practice, like if you have lab or something, you can't be, that's like the only reason that people were ever allowed to miss practice. They're deathly ill or they were at lab <laughs> because lab was the only thing that ever got yep. in the way of practice at four fifteen in the afternoon. Um, but you came to practice, you worked hard. And then at races, you raced hard and wherever that landed you, like you could hold your high, head high at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the team was there to support you. My coach was a very like old school guy. Um, you get a lot of, you know, like heavy handed pats on the back. And also if you were joking off a of practice or like you didn't show up, he'd say, you know, I get paid the same if you're here or not. So yeah. your success has nothing to do with how much I'm compensated, which is like a complete different experience. than I've heard from a lot of my friends who are at D one schools where they're Definitely. you know just trying to like squeeze results out of athletes. And as a result of that, I sort of got to like ride these waves of like success and failure um, without necessarily feeling like, like my scholarship was on the line or, 
you know, my teammates were going to disown me because well, we didn't win a conference championship. We wanted to win conference championships, but like they want you to be happy. More than yeah. That. Yeah. Um, and by the time I was a junior, I remember probably my most disappointing race in college was my junior year cross country. Um, came in expecting my teammate and I were expecting to be top five, top 10 at the worst. Yeah. Top 15 would have been a disastrous day. <laughs> and I think Nick Simmons and I were kicking it in for like 99th and a hundredth <laughs> yep. his senior year. And like, he had just won his conference meet. And yeah. I think he was like throwing his middle finger up to his coach at nationals, but it was like, you know, one of these things I, I had trained really, really hard. I knew I was in good shape and like just didn't perform on the day. Mm-hmm. And, and so I took that energy actually and turned it into an indoor season because indoor nationals was back in Minnesota at St. Olaf. And, uh, I proposed to my coach, like maybe two or three weeks after, after the beer mile had worn off, (laughs) um, that, uh, you know, I was like, Hey, what do you think about me doing indoor track? Have we ever had someone do indoor track? And he's like, yeah, I called people back in the eighties, but like not since then. And because that's when they still used to have indoor meets in LA. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, I went up to, I ran a race in Minnesota, ran a race in Seattle, qualified for nationals. And I went and won completely unexpectedly. Yeah. I was like yeah. literally going back to have a nice little like spring trip to hang out with my parents. Right. right. Um, and after that, it sort of opened my eyes to being like, Oh, like maybe I'm better at this than I think that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and that propelled you know, again, you know, it's just like you take, it just takes a little bit of success when you've been like sort of down in the dumps to like reignite that fire. Right. And all of my college teammates would probably tell you like they were waiting for me to find that. But I was, you know, I was in college. I was a mathematics major. I like had a very rigorous course of study. I was like Mm -hmm. balancing that with a social life and like enjoying the things that you do in Southern California and going to the beach on the weekends and all this other stuff where it's like, I was in college being a college student. And so it took me a while to like really nail down my priorities and then once I did, it was a pretty single-minded focus. Okay. Yeah. And wherein I, even my professors would say that like, they knew that I could have done better in class, but they were also like intrigued by this idea of me being a successful runner. Um, because I would just come to them and say like, oh yeah, you know, I have like this big meetup at Stanford and they like, they would transpose that in their brain to being like, it's a big conference that he's going to and like <laughs> presenting this research. And, and so again, it was like, I tried my best in in class I tra- and like in school, but it was always with like running sort of the re- second half of my senior year became my focus. Got it. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and I was lucky to be at a school where like for most student athletes, they wouldn't make the exception, but like, I don't know. I felt like they did for me. Like I could take tests early or take them when I got back. And like, I mean, no one if really you're winning national titles, it usually yeah, well, can it help took, a little bit. It took my third national title for me to get a letter from the president. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Mm. I was like, how many other national champs do you got, man? Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, a school that values academics more than sports, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but no, so, no. so when, I guess, but uh, before kind of realizing you're going to make it into the pro running world, what were you intending to do with the mathematics major? Did you have any idea of where you wanted to go career wise? Had you not? Yeah, I was probably going to be some schmuck like every other college grad in <laughs> California, go work for Google or something, you know? Okay, there we I was go. I to the Bay Area and join whatever the tech, <laughs> tech company. And, you know, I'd, you know, I'd probably be I wouldn't have a condo. I'd have an 18 bedroom mansion in Crested Butte. That's, you know, I was like, uh, but no, it, 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 it sort of quickly became evident to me that like that, that path was also not necessarily a path to happiness. I saw a bunch of my college teammates doing that. And while like 
they were all living this sort of like fast paced city life, whether it was in New York or San Francisco, it was like, I'd go visit them and they'd be resoundingly unhappy. Mm -hmm. And then I remember calling Nick Simmons and he had like, I don't remember what was going on, but I was just trying to, we don't have, there was no pathway forward for D3 runners. Like in D1, you know, your coaches have, a lot of coaches have relationships with agents or they like no other coaches to call. Yep. Um, I had Nick. Yeah. And I was like, Nick, how do you do this? And he's like, well, you gotta, you gotta run fast. And I was like, all right, what, okay. Let's just assume that I do that. Then what do I do? He's like, well, then you get an agent and then they get you a deal. It's like, okay, what's an agent? Who are those? Like I sort of thought that like professional running, we used to have the Nike farm team used to come down and I'd see them compete at meets in Southern California. And I thought like that was the pinnacle of professional running. Yeah. And then you sort of realize after the fact that that's like, that's sort of like the junior varsity team. Yeah. That's nuts. So do you, do you think, and I, I think I know the answer to this already, but the longevity of your, your running career in general, uh, do you think that's partly due because you weren't you know, running a hundred miles a week in high school and in college and, you know, really, I guess a, a lot of people, at least now, uh, high school running 70 miles a week, 80 miles a week, that's nothing like that's, that's kind of expected. And that's what it takes to win state titles, national titles. And then that doesn't, I mean, obviously some people can sustain that for 20 years, but it seems like most people can, a lot of people, especially when they're done D one running, they're just so burned out. They're like, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm never running another step in my life. So do you think that that's partly the success of your running career is because you were D three athlete as well as, you know, played several sports, you know, throughout uh, junior high and high school as well. What do you think the answer is? Oh, I know the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I want uh, you to, I want yeah. you to elaborate yeah, on this. I'll bad boy on that. So, um, I, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I think that like, I don't think that the body is a machine, like a car. Some cars can go longer than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every car has an amount of miles on it where the engine's just going to stop working. Yep. Of Minnesota, Minnesota produces a shocking number of professional runners. Um, and I think that some of the, one of the runners that's one of the only runners of my era that's still running is Garrett Heath. And he's a year and a half younger than I am. Yep. And, and I know he's, been starting to feel the physical limitations and the struggles of right, injury in, right. in that cycle. Um, but Garrett came from like a strong running background. He had the luxury in Minnesota of his winters being filled with cross country skiing. So he got to have one season at least where the pounding was taken exactly. off the body. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's really hard to say right now. And it's, it's hard for me to give it like when I was your age, I only ran 50 minutes. And it's like, I remember having to call my high school coach a few years ago and be like, Hey, how many miles a week did I run? Cause I, I had no idea. Yeah. I just went to practice and did whatever he told me. What, to do. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. ran in, you know, like soccer shorts and with like Nike shocks or something, you know, <laughs> it was like whatever was on sale at galleons, you know, now Dick's sporting goods. Um, it's really, really tricky now because you have these college, college is so expensive. College scholarships are being offered based on descending order lists. And so if you, you could be a state champion and no one will ever know who you are because you're not one of the top 50 ranked performers in whatever your event is. Yep. Um, and I think that that's, again, 
I think it, it's a bit laziness on behalf of coaches, but I also know that friends of mine that coach D1, they say that most hours of their day are taken up recruiting. And so it's like, okay, if there's a, a way to streamline this process such that you can actually focus on the athletes that you have right. and put more time and energy there, it just, it, it's really, really tricky. Aisha and I did a bit of volunteer coaching um, at a local high school, Silver Creek High School, when we first moved out to Boulder. And the obsession with time was something unlike I'd ever seen before. And this is like coming from D3 where it was like to qualify for nationals, you didn't go through a regional. All you had to do was run a time. Yeah. And so it's like, we should have been time obsessed in D3, but like I was never time obsessed. All I worried about was like, eh, I'm going to run the time that gets me to nationals. And then I'll like really turn it on when I get there. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really, it's hard to say, right? It's like, if you have the luxury of getting the eye of a college coach when you're a three or a four or a five sport athlete in high school. And you also run some decent times. Yeah. Like you probably have a shot at an incredibly successful college and professional career. Yep. Absolutely. Hobbs Kessler guys are, he's a climber. Yeah. But he's also just run three thirty four. You yep. know, it's like he has a wealth of sporting background. Very little of it is in running. Yeah. Um, I mean, and like I think athletes like that are, I mean, it's why he's getting, plucked by Adidas right now because they see that that's a unique, the hundred mile a week athletes, they're going to go to college and they're probably going to peter out. You know, those guys that run that much in high school. Exactly. Um, Or you guy that runs a a 405 mile his sophomore year. And by the time he's a senior, he's a 402 miler. You're like, well, that's what you're getting then. You're getting a 402 miler. Yeah. Guy might run 359, but he's not going to run 350 like Cole Hawker. Exactly. Exactly. and, And I know Cole Hawker was a damn good runner in high school, but like, did anyone see that progression? Probably not. I mean, I mean that could be an extreme example. Um, yeah. but I think like again, it just it it any of these things, there's there's pros and cons. And we're, we're constantly balancing those decisions. I was really, really fortunate. There was never any pressure put on me by my family that like I needed to take a scholarship or like I got to go to college exactly where I want to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, it just so happened they offered me a very generous financial aid package. But it was never even a conversation. It was just go where you want to go. Yeah. Um, there was something like, you know, you need to go to the local state school cause it's the most affordable. And like, I was lucky there. Yeah. Not everyone is that lucky. And so I had a, a teammate, Brandon Bethke that I trained with in Michigan for a while that I remember talking to him one day. He's like, you know, as a sophomore, I think he made footlocker cross or, or maybe one of the national meets. And the conversation he had with his parents was like, I'm going to basically stop focusing on school and I'm going to focus on becoming a division one athlete because I can get college paid for. Yeah. I'll worry about school when I get to college type <laughs> yeah, of thing. Right. Right. Um, right. And, and that worked out really well for me. It was, you know, multiple time, big 10 champion, all American ran professionally for a while. Um, but these are just like, it's crazy to me now when you look at depth charts in high school running, yeah. because like, there's also no such thing as a, there's no excuse rather for a bad coach anymore. Right. Exactly. It's like even the football coach can be a good track coach because all they got to do is go like pay $29.99 and download someone's training plan. And it's like, all right, what day is it's week two, day three? All right, this is, you're going to run six miles today. Yeah. Go run six miles. Like, good job. Yeah. And when kids are growing up and they're under, I mean, they're just starting out and running. I mean, anything's going to make them better. So, yeah, you can throw any sort of uh, work at them and they're just going to keep getting better, assuming they don't get injured, of course. But yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, of all that, like looking at all the sports you played growing up, if you weren't a pro in running, which of those sports would you want Frick, to be a pro any in? Any of them. I would have chosen to be a pro in any sport that I played <laughs> growing up besides running. Uh, I, I've been, you know, we're, we're here in Crested Butte. Um, 
my side of Crested Butte is no longer running. Aisha trains up here a lot. My side of Crested Butte is now skiing. And skiing was probably my first love. I started skiing when I was by four or five years old. And only the year, the year prior to me signing my first professional contract was the last year that I skied until I retired from racing. Yeah. And was that part of the contract? Was that you weren't allowed to? You know that you have these these clauses, and I'd say if you could injure, it just it just wasn't worth it. Yeah, you know, and it's also like yeah. when you're the winter months for us mostly are we're training, you know, yeah. we're getting ready for the indoor season or whatever. Yeah, um, or you've gotten injured from a big fall, and then you're trying to not get yourself even more hurt on the ski. Exactly. So I absolutely love skiing, but skiing is a really really difficult sport to be uh, to be professional in, and I'd say arguably more difficult because there's way more politics in it than than track and field. Um, but I grew up playing tennis and soccer and I mean, either of those would be so sick to be a pro. In. So downhill or XC skiing, which, which do you prefer? Uh, up until this past winter, I could have told you without a lie that I'd never cross country skied before, but I cross country skied. Uh, there's in town, there's a thing called the poop loop, which is where I take the dog okay. to, get him, to get his zoomies out. And so I bought a pair of classic skis and I just, I go make myself look like an idiot out there for you know, like an hour with a dog. <laughs> Cause big, Minnesota is one of the few, I don't know how many states do, if there's any others besides Minnesota where like a high school sport is actually cross country skiing. Like that's yeah. not, I'm I've never known anything different. Yeah, exactly. And I grew up in Iowa and that wasn't a thing. So it's just, I don't know. It is a good balance, a good culture to mix with the running side of things. Cause it gives you something to do in the winter. That's not pounding, but still aerobically possibly even better aerobically than what running is or at least equivalent. Yeah. And we also have downhill skiing is a high school sport. Yeah. And, so, and that's yeah. what I did. That's what you did. Yeah. Okay. yeah I did. I, I'd never cross country skied before. Um, I thought cross country skiing was for losers. <laughs> Little did I know. Uh, cross country skiing is pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I think in downhill skiing for me was like, it's basically plyometrics, nonstop plyometrics and power, which like for a skinny little kid, we'll use that word. Uh, you know, that was like the best cross training that I could possibly do. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and pain tolerance. True. Very true. Yeah. So tolerate being very cold for a long period of time. Yeah. So what does downhill skiing look like as a high school sport? Then I'm a little, I guess I, I see it in the Olympics and that's yeah. about, that's about all I know. So is it, are you, uh, you're basically, you're just racing and there's a few different styles of in high school, court. in Minnesota, we just had slalom. You just had slalom. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Hills are not very long there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Growing up in the Midwest, uh, you know, I, I, ski, I downhill skied a lot, loved it. And then you come to Colorado and you're like, oh, this is what downhill skiing is. Like we yeah. don't actually have downhill skiing in the Midwest. Yeah. You know, we have downhill sliding because <laughs> it's mostly on ice, mostly on landfills. And, uh, no, Minnesota has something like, I'm going to misquote this statistic, but there's like a hundred ski areas in Minnesota. And so I grew up doing like a junior race program where we would, I don't know how my parents tolerated this, but you're driving, you know, like hours and hours and hours every weekend to go to like the middle of absolute nowhere to freeze your absolute butt off to watch your kid like ski for 20 seconds. I I will, if we lived in the Midwest, I would strongly advocate for my kids to not do that, but what do I know? Hey, I mean, I have very supportive parents. I'm lucky. <laughs> Same could probably be said for if you were a hundred meter runner, come watch my kid run for 10 seconds. That'd you know? be awesome. Let's go. Done. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> I have to sit here for the two mile. That was great. <laughs> go get some popcorn. One of, one of our listener questions, we, we asked people on Instagram for some listener questions. One of them was, and, and Aisha might want to chime in here, but, uh, the question was, are runners from Minnesota or Illinois better? Minnesota. Is that right? Okay, what do you got? Chris, Derek, Jagger, and you? 
We got Gary. We got Hassan. We got Blanks. We got me. We got uh, Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why it's a good listener question because Illinois is like typically one of the better Midwest states as is Minnesota. So it's kind of the head to head there. I guess Wisconsin, depending on the year, could be up there, but yeah. I mean, like I think Joe, Joe Bossard and I have had many funny conversations about this. And I think one time he said to me something like he's, if he was a college coach, he would only recruit runners from states that have a border of Wisconsin that share a border with Wisconsin. So any of the Midwest, I mean, you just get like, you just get kids that are just tough. True. The like, conditions, hot and humid all summer. But winter. you also can't train all year. So like you, you're in general going to be more under trained than like some superstar from California or Arizona. Yeah. Um, and you gotta, gotta be creative. Yeah. And be willing to go do it when it really, really, really sucks. Yeah. I remember watching Joe Klecker run 402 for the mile in high school down in Iowa. And it was like a hundred mile an hour winds or something like that. And I was like, this kid's really good. Yeah. And yeah. then he just like went out and sold it because he's just a beast. And, and but that's like classic Midwest racing. You're just it like, is. oh yeah, this is awful. We don't know any different. We're going to still go out and run as hard as we possibly can. Exactly. There's, there's never good weather. It's either, it's either windy or just hot and humid. You pretty much have one of the two or raining or in snowing. the spring. Yeah. Snowing, snowing yeah. until uh, indoors over. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another listener question was, uh, are you keeping up with the kombucha game? And what are, what are some tips for those at home that, Want to brew their own? Oh yeah, I got a brew brewing right now at home. Do you? Yeah, my scoby is fired. That's really all it comes down to is like how strong your scoby is and not being grossed out by. It. Okay, so here's the tips: you gotta be very, very, very clean. Like the one of the, I don't, I'm hesitant to really call it a blog. One of the uh, recipes that I followed when I was like first starting out was like kept using this term "hands as clean as a surgeon's." And I'm like, okay. And that's so I'd like, I'd be doing something and like, you know, touching all the stuff with kombucha and I'd like accidentally kind of like, like grab my beer or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, I gotta wash my hands again. And so like you scrub, 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 wash, dry with a paper towel. Cause you don't want to dry with a dish rag because it's got a ton of bacteria Touch on something it. else. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I've never had anything go wrong in terms of like all this disgusting mold show up, but I've seen some kombucha fails on Instagram and it's pretty disgusting. Um, patience. I will also say that recently we've had a couple of kombucha fails where I've, I don't know what it was that I put in these bottles because you, when you do kombucha, you bottle ferment or you ferment and then you bottle carbonate. Yeah. And so you add like these priming sugars to let all the, the yeast and stuff you know, make the carbonation kind of like bottle fermenting beer. And the last two bottles that I've opened have, <laughs> just gone. It's like, they look so innocent and it's just like, oh, this is going to be so nice. I like, I made a lemon ginger kombucha and then you like pop the top of this bottle and just, <laughs> it's like someone just behind, it was like, just like shook up like, oh, here you go. Here's your kombucha. And it's just like, it was such a mess. It went all over my computer and yeah, that was, that sucked. But, um, the beauty of kombucha, like, especially when you get all these little bottles is like, unlike beer, when you brew your beer, the beer's coming out. It's all the same beer. Yeah. Kombucha, it's like you have this base palette that you get to work with, which is whatever type of tea you've fermented. So black, green, white, whatever. I've used almost exclusively black. And then your flavorings, you can differently flavor every single bottle. Right, um, right. And I think that's probably the most the most fun part. So is this solely your activity or is Aisha involved in this as well? She wants nothing to do with the scoby. Okay. She doesn't like to look at it. Okay. I actually had to hide it. <laughs> 
in a pantry. <laughs> I look at it, I'm like, it that's does look pretty so gross. cool. I love it. But she also can't look at needles or blood or whatever. Oh God, I'm 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 similar there. She's a nurse. She oh. does that all day. I I don't like getting getting shot. Well, actually, I don't mind getting shots, but seeing someone else get a shot it, that bothers me. I, don't I can't know why. watch a needle go in, but I can once it's in, I can look at it. You're cool with that. I'm like, ah, oh, that's pretty neat. And I try and like when I get blood tests, when I try oh, and like squeeze gosh. it, I'm like, come oh. on, yeah, you're killing me right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're killing me. I'm gonna pass out. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> no. Uh, no kombucha. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's also like way easier than beer. Yeah, you yeah. just make sweet tea. Pour it in with your scoby. Ten days later, put it in a bottle, put some flavorings in it. Arguably, maybe a little healthier too. You know, maybe. I agree to disagree. I guess it depends on what you're measuring as healthiness. You know, a macro happiness. Brew? Yeah, I mean, like I can be very happy drinking. I've watched Ayusha get drunk off drinking kombucha before up here. <laughs> She's like, I can't drive. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like 05 percent alcohol. She's like, I don't know what it was, but I'm feeling tipsy. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> It's a lemon basil kombucha. Like you're fine. Like snap out of it. I guess I'm driving. Getting wild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another listener question uh, was what was your most memorable or favorite race that you ever ran? I had that question many times before because I've I, run a lot of races mm-hmm. um, and I've still never really been able to pin one down. There's like, there's a handful and I'll go through a couple of them. Um, the 2008 Olympic trials, top three. Yeah, I'll give top three. All right. So 2008 Olympic trials was very, very special. Um, I moved to Eugene in August of 2007 to join the Oregon track club. Mm-hmm. As I said, had no idea when followed Nick Simmons, yep. um, do as he did. Seemed to work out. Okay. Uh, so moved to Eugene and like, there was this sign when we came over, um, the Coburg bridge that was like the eye of Sauron. And it had the countdown to the trials. And so like we were training in Hayward field, which was insane to me. Uh, you know, you're running a priest trail every day, which was as a, like a little bit of my, I wasn't much of like a D three runner nerd, but like it sort of forced me into becoming one. Yeah. It was my first year ever training, like a professional being around athletes that like legitimately pushed me every single day. Um, and so like, and the first Olympic trials in Eugene since 1972. And it was like, all these things made it like a really, really special, I mean, it was like a, a track meet unlike we'd ever had in America before. Right. Um, and so that was really, really, really cool. And I got fourth that year, which sort of like propelled, propelled me on this journey of professional track and field. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a contract before that. After that I did. Yep. And my parents came out. I think there was like 17 of my college teammates came out. It was just super, super fun. Like yeah. the, the yeah. night after the 1500 final was like, and I don't remember most of it, but I remember it was a great time. <laughs> we had an absolute blast. Um, and you know, the, yeah, it was, it was hilarious. Uh, I had no business finishing where I did, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I guess hindsight would say, sure, sure you did. That's usually how the best races happen though. It's almost yeah. when you least expect it. You just go in with no expectations, see what happens. And that's kind of when it works out. As Molly, Molly Seidel said, you just get in the mix, put your nose where somewhere you don't have any business being and like, see what happens. Exactly. Uh, she wins an Olympic medal. I got fourth of dress to <laughs> miss the team. Yeah. Cheers, Molly. Cheers to that. <laughs> um, the two others, I mean, they're like, they're pretty easy to, to pin down. Um, I think winning the Melrose games was probably one of the more fun again, 
had no real expectation. It was actually funny. So Willis and I were training partners for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And that year in particular was one of the first years that we were, we called this our training partners via correspondence. We were like Zoom training partners. And I knew how fit he was because we talked to each other every day after every workout. And every workout that he did was like orders of magnitude better than any workout that I did. I was like, shit, Willis, you're so fit, man. I was like pumping him up before the middle of those games. Like, man, you're going to smoke. Like you haven't won this thing yet. You're going to smoke this. You got it. Oh my God. You're going to run so stinking fast. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then I beat him. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it was, it was really special that my, my dad came out with me. He was fighting cancer at the time. Mm -hmm. And we have, my family has a long history in New York city. And so like, Winning, you know, the most famous mile race in America with all that history. Yeah. I would have loved to have done it in the garden, but the army's pretty freaking special. For sure. Um, And then this one isn't necessarily top three, but it's definitely top five uh, was my PR mile in, in Dublin, Ireland. Yeah. At the Morton games. It was actually funny because again, Aisha and I had been dating for a couple of years at this point and the meet director put us in the same hotel room. And so we're sort of like bouncing pre-race nerves off of each other and like getting a little bit too nervous. But one of the things that like brought my confidence up was her mile race was, I think it was like 50 minutes before mine and she ran 428 or 426. Okay. Right in the middle. Sorry. (laughs) So sorry. It's 427 for the listener. that couldn't hear that in the background. Uh, but got third and, and like ran this extra and I would stop my warm up to like cheer her on during her race. And I was like, so pumped up by watching her run that sort of like took all my nerves away for the, my race. You know, it's yeah. like, Oh, it's going to go and run. Well, it's gonna be great. We're gonna go out like drink a bunch of Guinness tonight. It's gonna be super fun. It's gonna be awesome. Heck yeah. And, um, I done this race a number of times before, but a lot of the history wasn't really, uh, put on me until afterwards. So I, I ended up winning that day in 351. Um, I broke Steve Scott's meet record. I tied Steve Scott for a number of wins at the Morton mile. Um, granted, I might say that he, the fields that he was competing against back in, in the eighties were a little bit more competitive than some of the fields I had to race against. But, um, that year was pretty dang good. I think we went like 351, 352, 352 or 353. And like, yeah, it was pretty, pretty top heavy there. Um, but that was really special. And, and it was a meet that was, it was also special to me because it was, uh, when I first started doing it, the first year I did it was 2008. It was tiny. There's very few people in the stands. Yeah. And in 2014, it's like stands are packed. The meet directors are now friends of mine. Yeah. Um, we've had this like long standing relationship and it, it was like, you know, one of the more comfortable places for me to go race on the professional tour in Europe. And they just treated us really well. They were super grateful to have us out and, yeah. So to, to like be able to go there and perform and perform well is makes it all really special. For sure. So the follow up then to that, what is the best post-race party you've ever been at? And you, you can't say the first, the, the first race that was your favorite here, that post-race party. Uh, yeah. It's a good question. There've been some really good ones. It, you know, fifth Avenue mile. Fifth Avenue Mile karaoke is pretty epic. Another one that we started, first Fifth Avenue Mile I ever did was 2008. And I think Nick Simmons, Nick Willis, uh, strange because he doesn't drink, but loves to party, loves to be out and have fun. <laughs> he had just gotten married that year to his wife, Sierra. Um, they took us to this like sit down dinner after the race. And it's like every athlete's <laughs> last race. And we were sitting there like eating pizza, like 
is this thing almost over? We got let's, let's we're in go New York party. City. Let's yeah, go let's party. Go. Yeah. And so like Nick Simmons and I just start ordering. Like our table was about this long and had twenty people at it. And we just started like bringing in like a hundred beers at a time. And all the athletes and Mary Wittenberg at the time was the president of NYR just starts coming over and like puts like a stern hand on both Nick's and my shoulder. Like, what are you guys doing over here? And we're like, Mary, season's over. It's a party. And sort of like turn this light bulb on their heads. Sort of from that year on. They held a post race at a brewery. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. No more sit down dinners, but you know, we, she's like, and I think that's it for drinks for tonight for <laughs> this tab. If you guys want more drinks, you can buy yourselves. Um, and you know, we got the group together to go out and, and do karaoke. And again, it started like started this, uh, a tradition of getting, getting people a little loose, chuck a microphone in their hand. It's funny because that's the common answer actually with a lot of our guests is the fifth ab mile post-race party. I guess end of the season, it kind of makes sense because people are willing to go wild, but it's good to know that you kind of spearheaded that being the main event for, for the year. Well, you know, and like if it would have just been these two young, dumb, drunk idiots from Oregon, it probably wouldn't have caught on as much as like Nick Willis was like, I think he may have won that year, but he like got the crowd. Like everyone is like, I don't drink. And if I'm going, you're going. And I was like, everyone was there. And it was really, really hilarious. Um, Yeah. Maybe the other one that like rivals it was there was one year, the last year of the Memorial Van Damme meet in Brussels and Bolt ran. And I had the pleasure of running the four by 1500, which was like first meet of the first event of the meet. Like no one really cared about it, but Belgium won a national record. So we run this event and afterwards there is this party that like Bolt ends up DJing and I don't, I didn't sleep that night and my season wasn't over. So it's a bad thing to do, but we were out at this, like, you know, it was just kind of one of those, like when you're like a crazy European club experience, right? but it was sort of like half normal European clubbers and like half athletes. And that party got like really, really outrageous. And, uh, yeah, a lot of things I like hazily remember, but that was, (laughs) that was one of those parties that was like, man, I'm glad all post-race parties aren't like this because you would just never make it through a summer season. (laughs) You you can do like, I can do like one of those a year where I'm like, whoa, I mean, used to can't do them anymore. (laughs) Is that what the European like racing circuit turns into to some extent is kind of a like race go out, have fun, rest for five days, race the next one or, or is it depends on which circuit you're on. If you're on a circuit that you're out there to go win the diamond league, that looks very, very different than, you know, the guy that's looking to run like one 1500 meter PR at some meet in Belgium and then like enjoy a summer. Yeah. They hit it and then yeah. Good to go for the summer. Yeah. Very fun. Uh, okay. I think we should get into maybe some flip cup, maybe a challenge, but before we do that, I do want to ask it, Aisha, if you're willing to, uh, talk a little bit about how your recovery is going, we'd love to have you talk a little bit here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luckily these microphones stretch to hear our conversation with Aisha checking in how her knee surgery went and how her experience was at the Tokyo Olympics. Head back one episode, episode 48 of the Beer Mile podcast. We also have a link to that in the description. Her story is certainly one of inspiration, and we're really rooting for her over these next few years to make a recovery and a rebound, to be a part of the World Championships teams, and to make the next 2024 Olympics in just three short years. Now we're going to get into a game of Flip Cup with Will Lear. There is a link in the description to the video version of Flip Cup. There's also a link in the description to the video version of the entire interview with Will. Would certainly recommend you watch this one, but we are going to drop the audio in here anyway because it's still entertaining and it's for a great cause. Will and I 
$200 on the line. Loser donates to the other's charity of choice as part of the UA All Out Mile. So there are some stakes on this one. And for the record, Beer Mile Podcast has never lost a game of Flip Cup against any of our guests. Will this be any different? Listen on to find out. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. We'll leave you with the game of Flip Cup. Hope everyone's enjoying the end of your summers and hope you're enjoying a cold one out there, whether it's a seltzer or a beer or an ice cold water. We really appreciate y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers. So we got a little challenge here. Oh, shoot. I, I will wipe that up off your floor. I remember my first beer. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to... He's a beer miler. He's just pouring it straight into his mouth. Going into a cup seems so foreign. I mean, pouring it sideways into a cup just seems very strange. Going to have a little friendly competition. We have some one-on-one flip cup. It's three cups. You might not be able to see those from back there, but we have three cups. Yeah, let me put this back here. The GoPro will see it. And Colorado native. Not sponsoring this podcast. Nope, not at all. What? So, what sort of stakes do we want to put on this game of flip cup? And is it is it going to solely be on this game of flip cup, or is this like a best two out of three thing? How how confident are you? We haven't warmed up at all. I would like to offer a two hundred dollar charity donation to whichever charity our our. Respective teams in the All Out Mile are going to support. Loser donates 200 bucks to that other team's charity. Done. Done. Beer Mile Podcast would gladly donate. Have you chosen the charity that you want to go with? Uh, it's. It, I have to run it by Aisha and make sure that she's, she's the one who vets my charity choices for me. Okay. So, um, yeah. And, and to make sure that there's no conflicts of interest with Under Armour. So, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. I have not picked mine either yet. So, yeah, well, we listeners, move. if you have a charity yeah, yeah. recommendation, shoot them in the comments or in the DMs or somewhere. Let us let us know what they are. Yeah. Um, okay. So, is it just, just one and done or best two of three? Well, it depends if I win the first one. <laughs> Yeah. Cheers down now. Is it is it all is it all on this row of three though, or is yeah. it yeah, 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 just yeah, yeah. all There's all one, on this one? one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One okay, okay. Sorry. I'm, then I'm let me let me make that. sure. I'm, I'll, I'll add a little more beer. I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident. I'm pretty pretty good right now. This guy is was used to be a world record holding beer drinker and runner. I have never held that distinction. <laughs> not once, not one of those categories. So flip flip cup is a, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a very streaky game. And so yeah. if you're on today, then that's all it really comes down to. Yeah, but. flip cup is a game I usually play after I've had about a hundred beers. So <laughs> this is this this should be fun. Uh, it, when I went to college, the gentleman's way of starting was cheers in the cup, touching the table, and then it's game on. We have the same college norms. Well, that. What? Across, across the country. Get out of here. Norms. I thought we were the only ones. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Turn your I guess we're line. doing here it. We All right. Ooh. That was a cheap one. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Ever in Flip Cup. Well, you know, stress does different things to different it, people. It, uh, 
Well, oh, actually, I, I was going to make a claim that we used your cups, but I just remembered we used our cups. So, can't make that claim. Uh, shoot, what other excuses can I come But it was up no here? less fun. Yeah, see, the altitude. Yeah, the cups flip differently at 9,200 feet for sure. They do. Just don't challenge me to another one because I think this is why I suck at the beer mile. <sighs> just yeah. full, burpee. Yeah. Just, you know. I'm not a beer chugger. I'm more of, I'm a marathon, I'm like a middle distance runner. I'm a marathon beer, beer <laughs> drinker. I can drink beer all day. Oh God, this is where it starts to happen. That's good. You gotta get the, see, you usually get 400 meters to get those burps out though. Man, see, and I, this is why I, we should have agreed to the best of seven or something. Oh, see, no, I'm, I'm good just, now. You're at seeing, yeah, I'm ready to go and now. I'm just getting warmed up, you know? Yeah. You should be pretty proud. You're the first ever person to beat myself or Adam on the Beer Mile podcast. We've, we've, uh, who all have we competed against? We've, Vanessa Frazier, Sinclair Johnson. Beat them. Ali beat Ostrander, them. Spencer Brown. Beat him. Gosh, who else? Yeah. I'm not saying that I have, but I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, I mean, my confidence right now is like sky high. It should be. So <laughs> we should have done this before we recorded the podcast. We actually should have. Yeah, that's how you should start. You should start with right, uh, a little liquor. Podcast yeah, part two. Let's six go. Six minutes. We're going to fire this up. Um, yeah, absolute pleasure. Well, thank you for the competition. Let me know when you decide on that charity and uh, Beer Mile Podcast will send some money on behalf of Will Lear and the, well, your, your team that's going to get consolidated into our team. Because, yeah, we'll probably just get yeah. swallowed up by the Beer Mile team. <laughs> Honestly, we might have to combine forces if we're losing to some of these other teams out there on membership. We're just going to need to say, hey, we're going going together the Mile High Beer Mile team. The mile just High Beer Milers. Put, put them together. <laughs> If you just put enough, uh, you know, adjectives in there, enough qualifiers, you're gonna get some, someone's gonna identify with with, with that with one yeah, of yeah. those things. The the mile high weekend warrior beer coffee milers. coffee milers coffee that, beer milers that hits everything runners are into. Yeah, there you go. kombucha <laughs> coffee beer milers yoga, <laughs> you know, healthy lifestyle kale salads, the kale salad milers. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming over. Get out of my house!